0: Mindfulness Mode. Your life is as your mind is. Uh, your mind decides if you're having a good day or a bad day.
1: Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness right here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and mindfulness life coach, Bruce Langford. Mindful Tribe, we talk about meditation a lot on the show, but I have with me today a meditation teacher and author who has put together an incredible book about how to meditate and the many different ways to meditate. It is so complete. It is such a, a fantastic book that I can't wait for you to see it and experience this book, and I can't wait for you to hear Giovanni. This is Giovanni Dienstmann, and I'm so excited to have you with us, Gio. How are you and what? Well, first of all, are you in mindfulness
0: mode? <laughs> Thank you very much, Bruce. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I. My intention is to be in mindfulness mode as much as possible throughout the day. So I, I, I can see that I'm in mindfulness mode right now.
1: Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, what does mindfulness mean to you?
0: Mindfulness for me is awareness. It's a, a synonymous to being aware. Um, and there are many anchors. Now, you can, you can practice mindfulness by being aware of your body. You can be aware of how your breath is throughout your day. You can be aware of your thoughts, um, you know, in different Different meditation traditions, they practice awareness in different ways. Like in, in India, they are aware of the mantra. So they have the mantra going on on the back of their mind, whether they're washing the dishes, working, walking, etc. So there are all these interesting ways to practice awareness.
1: Well, I'm fascinated to learn how you got to the point where you wrote this incredible book, which looks like it would have taken a massive amount of research. And I mean, the the pictures, the diagrams, there are flow charts, there are so many things. And then a resource section at the end. If anybody wants to know the nuts and bolts of meditation, you must get this book called Practical Meditation. How did you get to the point of writing this book,
0: Gio? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, Well, for, so I wrote this book in 2017. Uh, I got published by DK in 2018. Um, I started meditation when I was 14 years old. I, as a teenager, you know, I had, maybe I can say anxiety or or restlessness. Um, You know, there was a lot of energy inside of me that I didn't know what to do with that. Um, But that was not exactly the reason why I started meditation i started meditation because i had an interest in in the mystical okay the esoteric in the metaphysical so which is something kind of um um unlikely at that age perhaps but that's how i started and um i i read a lot of books about buddhism and zen and taoism and all these different you know um meditation traditions so from the very beginning of my my path in meditation i was very eclectic I was um, drinking from multiple sources. And even though in different phases of my practice, I focused on a single um, tradition. So there was a time which was Zen and mindfulness. There was a time which was the non-dual tradition. And then there was a time for yoga, etc. cetera. I um, eventually I got to a point where I felt that I was not getting everything that I needed or I was dissatisfied with something in that approach. And then I would go and study another approach. So I always wanted to be specialized on a single thing and kind of follow a single path to the end. But it so happened for me that I ended up following many different paths. And this ended up being um, uh, an advantage in a way or, or a point of uniqueness for me as a meditation teacher later on in my life. Because, um, you know, while most teachers, they teach one method or maybe two or three, I have experimented several methods. And so I can help people um, try these different methods and find out what's best for them. And so that's that's what I'm doing throughout the book. I think there are 30 different methods of meditation there, are step-by-step, something like that. So um, I had already been teaching and writing meditation for a few years when the publisher um, DK, which is part of the Penguin Group, they contacted me saying, hey, we have been researching for an author, um, seeking an author to write this book that we want to call Practical Meditation. And um, one of our editors is your reader and he highly recommended you. So would you like to write it for us? And that's how I wrote the book. Um, So in a way it was 17 years of research and one month of writing.
1: And one month, you wrote it in one month. That's impressive. Oh, you must have just hunkered down and spent that whole entire month writing. Is that true?
0: That was the main focus for
1: every day, yeah. Yeah. Well, your website, liveanddare.com, is really incredible. Tell our listeners, tell Mindful Tribe what they can expect if they go to your
0: website, liveanddare. So the purpose of the website is to um, present practical information in a way that they can digest, in a way that it's complete. So my idea with every blog post that I publish is that if I'm not happy that this is one of the best articles in the topic on the web, I will not publish it. So I I do research on whatever is available and I try to bring it all together. So what they can expect, for instance, if they go to my site and they read on the post on types of walking meditation, they can expect that they will have a broader idea about walking meditation. than reading other posts that only focus on, on one way of doing walking meditation. So that is the that is the taste of, of the blog. It's a um, it's, um, combination of different modalities. And it always tries to be really clear uh, and really practical, but without sacrificing the depth.
1: When I read your blogs, I get the feeling that you
0: love writing. Is that true? And was that always a love of yours? I do love writing. Um, that doesn't mean that it's always pleasant. You know, writing is, um, I I read the sentence a while ago that a writer is someone for whom writing is more painful than anyone else than for anyone else. And, uh, there's some truth to that, but, um, I do love writing because it allows me to organize my thoughts. It allows me to go deep into a topic and put everything that I know together, see where are my gaps in knowledge, and then try to, to research and fill those gaps and then present a very cohesive, and compelling picture to the reader so that they can digest and apply something in their lives that is meaningful.
1: So have you always had this very, very high standard of, you know, your writing? I wonder, do you consider yourself a perfectionist?
0: Yes, I am a bit of a perfectionist. Um, I also, but I also ship things. I also make things ready for the world. Uh, some types of perfectionists they, they never complete because it's never good enough. Right. So, um, yeah, I have high standards, but I also know at a certain point that the best thing I can do is to put it out there. And as I get feedback from actual readers and practitioners, then I can improve along the way. A
1: lot of us with high standards do have an issue with self-bullying, and you talk about self-bullying. So, how did you overcome that, or maybe you still struggle with it on a regular basis? Tell us about that.
0: Mm. You know, in my childhood, you know, the family that I was that I was in, um, there is a lot of condescending comments among family members, right? There's a lot of putting each other down and mocking each other. Um, This is kind of part of the family culture. Um, And it's like, they are never happy with you. Like you're never good enough. That's the feeling uh, growing up in in my family. And also there are wonderful things, right? I don't want to give a bad impression. But um, I would say that um, for some reason, when I was really young, I decided in my mind that I will not let other people's opinions of me define who I am. Wow. That I will not that that I will be myself and I will be my best friend. Even if the whole world is my enemy, I'm gonna be my best friend.
1: I love that. I love that. That reminds me of Wayne Dyer saying, you know, someone else's opinion of me is none of my business.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah and so somehow that that idea came within me and and that was formative of my personality and you know a few years later on in in school and high school um there was there was i had bullying experiences with uh kids that were much older than me um but that didn't turn into a trauma because i fought back you know even though they were two or three years older than me and they came uh, actually physically abusing me punching me and everything I punched back, and I got beat up. Uh, got beat up severely, but it didn't turn into a trauma because I fought back. Wow! I did not just. Oh, wow, you got beat up. Tell from, us
1: more about this bullying and how you moved through this. And I mean, there must have been some bullying as well that was not physical. Tell us about that. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, the the bullying that was not physical, I I already had the skill to let that go being brought up in the, in the household that I was brought up, that was an important survival skill. Mm-hmm. So I had that and that was okay for me. But uh, when things start getting physical, then I have to do something about it, right? I cannot just um, be broken. Like you need, I, I needed to do something about it. I could not accept that. And so I, whenever that happened, I always fought back and I almost always got the bitter end of the stick. Oh, did <laughs> the you? Fight. But, um, you know, I, I'm glad that I did. I'm glad that I did, because from what I know of trauma nowadays, um, you know, trauma happens when you, when there's a sense of hopelessness, when there's a sense of, of not being able to do anything to protect yourself.
1: Yes. I wonder, have you ever studied martial arts or did you ever, you know, lift weights or do anything like that so that you could become stronger in order to fight back?
0: Yeah. So uh, when that was happening, no. And then I asked my, my dad to put me in a martial arts school and then he agreed maybe i was um what 13 at that time and um yeah then i started taking kung fu classes which ended up being a big part of my life for like a decade and um and soon after like a few months after i started taking martial art classes no one else bothered me Uh i didn't tell anyone no one knew about it but something had changed. No one else came to bother me. And
1: maybe it was the way you carried yourself, the level of confidence that you exuded. Maybe,
0: maybe. Or maybe the fact that they know that whoever bullied me in the past um, also got punched on the maybe way back. Maybe they knew <laughs> that. So it's a, yeah, let's go for some easier target. Uh, so one of these two things must have done it. And how many siblings do you have, Gio? I have uh, one
1: younger brother. Oh, only the one. So so you talked about your family situation. So was a lot of that negativity mostly coming from your younger brother or your parents as well?
0: It was from my brother and my mother, mostly my mother. Uh,
1: and do you have a good relationship now with your brother and your mother and your
0: family, or is that
1: not really a strong relationship?
0: I wouldn't say that there is a strong emotional connection. Um, I mean, we are, there are ups and downs, right? Um, sure. I know what to expect and I know what to not to expect. Mm-hmm. And I'm at peace with that. But from time to time, we need to set boundaries and say like, hey, this is not acceptable. This is not going to happen. Right. And this behavior, I, I cannot take.
1: You grew up in Brazil, I believe you said, and you moved to Australia. And did your whole family move there? or You moved there when you
0: became an adult, didn't you? No, so I, um, I got married really young. I was 23 when I got married. And um, my wife is a foreigner. She was not Brazilian. She is um, half Japanese, half Iranian. So quite a mix. And uh, we got married and we tried life in Brazil for two or three years. It didn't work out for her. So um, just uh, the two of us moved to Australia.
1: Right. And was that a tough cultural shock when you moved there?
0: When, when I moved here to Australia? Yes. No, it was um no it it was it was an easy transition in terms of culture. Um the tough part was, you know, getting a job and and fitting in the workforce, but in terms of culture, um I was very comfortable with everything here.
1: And so what kind of work did you do for, when you first went there? Did you work in the field of mindfulness and meditation
0: and and that kind of thing right away? No, actually um so I graduated in law, I have a bachelor degree in law that I completed in Brazil. And then I worked in law for five years. I was um, working for the government at the time. And once I moved to Australia, I was I, you know, I was not really passionate about law and all my knowledge of Brazilian law would be kind of useless here. Mm. So I said, okay, let me take this opportunity to change careers. And uh, at that time I had developed uh, a passionate hobby, which was programming, programming for uh, creating iPhone apps. And so I said, okay, I'm gonna teach myself programming. I'm gonna do some weekend courses here and there. And then I'm gonna try this new career in Australia. And um, yeah, so despite the initial difficulties and the self doubts that come like, hey, I'm gonna be competing with people who have a visa or who are uh, locals and uh, who have done uh, IT as a bachelor degree. And I have nothing, like I've just kind of taught myself, like what are my chances? And these things feel really hard. I I don't know if I'll ever be able to understand this. So these thoughts were were going on in my mind, but still I pushed through and um, yeah, I I was able to make a successful career as a a developer, as a programmer for five years before then I moved on uh, full time to be a meditation teacher.
1: I see. I'm going to cut in here, Mindful Tribe. I'm talking to you if you've been trying and trying to lose weight Maybe you're feeling it's hopeless. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you've tried so many times to lose weight. Well, you know what? It's not hopeless. Hypnosis changes everything because it transitions the way you think. It conquers your inner bully. I personally lost 35 pounds and I've kept it off with the help of hypnosis. Using mindfulness and hypnosis, I will help you lose your weight because I am trained in hypnosis, and you deserve it. You deserve to lose that weight. Send me an email, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com, and put weight loss in the subject line. We'll jump on a free 45-minute call to answer all your questions. And now, back to the show. Well, I want to uh, focus a little bit more on your book right now. And there's so many things that you teach in the book. And one of them is that you do not do not have to sit in this uncomfortable position on a yoga mat or on a cushion with your legs crossed. Why has that become such, such a belief out there that that's the way it has to be? You make it clear that you can just get comfortable upright in a chair and that's what i teach as well but i just want to know from you
0: how you came to this point Mm -hmm. well it's the it's the exotic image of meditation right the person sitting in that difficult cross leg position the lotus pose with the hands kind of uh with the finger connected pointing to the air etc that is the 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 symbol in the collective uh, imagination so to speak about meditation and that's the way that meditation was typically done and still is typically done uh, by yogis in the himalayas or in india etc um but there are many reasons why that's not the best way to teach or or to attempt meditation in the west first we have a different body type we have been um, used to sitting on chairs since we were young right in india in, in china they sit on the floor a lot right so they have a different their joints are different so they can sit in a position that seems impossible for us and for them it's okay um, the second thing is you know the the, the yogis and monks meditating in the himalayas they didn't have a cushion they had to sit on the floor so they have to develop a way where you can sit on the floor with your spine straight and for long periods of time and apparently if you fold your legs like that you are able to do that um, The the most important thing about posture is that your posture is straight, and it's firm, and it's comfortable. And the spine, the spine and the neck, if the spine and the neck are straight, and if you can hold it like that with comfort, and you feel stable for long periods of time, then the positions of the leg don't matter.
1: Let's talk about the scientific evidence behind meditation, you've included that in your book, share with mindful tribe about the
0: science. Right. Right. So there's an article on the 76 the seventy six benefits of meditation, where I've, I've collected all the scientific um, references to, to these benefits. But basically, we can divide these benefits into three or four groups. In terms of physical benefits, uh, meditation is proven to uh, decrease the chance of all sorts of heart disease. And... Um, to help you manage to to have stronger immunity, which is really important in a time of pandemic. Um, It's proven to help your DNA repair itself, to uh, live longer, um, help with inflammation. Like there's a a long list of um, health conditions that meditation was proven to at least help you manage, if not help you um, uh, heal uh, quicker. And then we have the mental mental benefits, the benefits for your mind. Um, Meditation helps you focus better, it improves your memory. It improves your decision-making. You make better decisions when you are more aware. Um, and of course, it's it's proven to help with anxiety, depression, um, and several other mental health conditions. And then we can talk about the emotional benefits. Um, meditations like the loving-kindness meditation from the Buddhist tradition, especially, have a lot of benefits to your emotional health. It helps you feel less alone, even if you may be alone. Um, it helps you connect with people better, develop greater empathy, feel happier in your relationships, um, and in general, meditation is proven to to um, improve the psychological well being, your subjective well being, uh, your moods. It all becomes um, you feel better, you feel more content as a result.
1: Uh, one of the incredible things I noticed is that your your book was reviewed by a very well known meditation teacher who. Is the best-selling author of Buddha's Brain, and uh, his name is Rick Hansen. And he mm-hmm. said, I was blown away by how good practical meditation really is. Now, did you know Rick Hansen already, or did that just happen? How did, that, how did you end up getting a review
0: from Rick Hansen? Right. So um, in 2017, I went to Australia's first um, meditation conference. Australia-wide meditation conference. And Rick was one of the um, international guest speakers. And so uh, I attended his lecture in the conference and uh, we talked after, we we kind of became friends. Uh, I kept in touch and I invited him to be a guest on my podcast. And uh, I said like, hey, I I have some copies of the book. Would you like me to send you a free copy? Um, I'd love to hear your feedback. And he said, sure. So I sent him a copy. And uh, when we went for the podcast interview, he basically said like exactly that sentence that is there on the uh, on the blog. Wow, <laughs>
1: wow, wow, wow. Well, I want to know more about your personal meditation choices because there are so many different things laid out in this book which are fascinating. But how do
0: you choose to meditate these days? Mm-hmm. So my, my preferred style of meditation has changed over time. Um, in the past, maybe three or four years it has been a mixture of mantra meditation and gazing meditation which is called trataka t-r-a-t-a-k-a so for me i find that these two meditations they are they're very powerful it wasn't easy to choose because i love so many different styles but um, these two um, they seem to work specific especially well for me
1: when people talk about meditation, I mean, it's just all over the map about different types of ways that people meditate and sometimes they say they swim and that's their meditation or whatever. Are there certain kinds of meditation that you just kind of shake your head and you think,
0: oh, that's not even legit? <laughs> <laughs> well, there are um, there are many styles of meditation that would seem weird to Western eyes, um, you know, And they are not popular for that very reason. You know, the, the most popular style of meditation in the West is to focus on your breathing. And that is very like anyone can accept that. And it's a natural part of your body. And it doesn't involve any esoteric concepts. So yeah, we can all, we can all digest that and, and make use of it. But um, there are many styles of meditation that may involve some weird visualizations. Or repeating some very long mantras in a foreign language. Um, there is one style of meditation, for instance, that involves, and that one is in the book. I called it a headless me, which involves imagining that you uh, that you don't have a head anymore. So some people will find that gruesome. Um, some people will find it uh, interesting, but um, you know I include it in the book because it's a traditional style and uh, it has an effect. And something happens when you you, you do that meditation. And uh, also to give it, uh, give readers a taste of um, the, the depth and breadth of the traditions of meditation that they have invented all sorts of things, all sorts of different ways to, to master the mind and to develop awareness. When I went to your website, liveanddare.com,
1: I saw a video of you, and I watched you on there, and I'm like, oh man, like he is definitely so relaxed and so calm and so grounded you just seemed like the ultimate meditation teacher just how you came across in that video and i thought you know that was that was very impressive right off the bat but i want to talk to you about what your morning routine looks like and what a typical day is like for
0: giovanni oh wow yeah this is this is going to sound very extreme now <laughs> is it okay well that's okay I, i'm very interested <laughs> Yeah, so uh, my morning routine has evolved over time. I I keep tinkering, I keep trying different things. Um, At the moment, I am doing something called biphasic sleep. So instead of getting my seven hours all at once, I I, I sleep in two phases. I sleep five hours at night and two hours late in the morning. So I will sleep from 9.30 p.m. to 2.30 a.m. I wake up at 2.30 a.m. I um, take a cold shower. I do some stretches and then I sit for two and a half hours of meditation so that's the beginning of my day Um, then after that I would do a little bit of kind of some some journaling exercise you can call that and um, then from 6 a.m to 8 a.m I write except today when I'm talking with mindfulness mode right
1: (laughs) and I'm honored for that so thanks for doing that my pleasure Wow, that's quite a routine. And and does that fit in with the routine of your
0: wife as well? No, so all this happens while she's still sleeping. Okay. Well, my wife and daughter are sleeping. I have a one-year-old daughter. They are sleeping. And that's why, I mean, this is like this on purpose. So I get to meditate when the the house is quiet. And I get to do two hours of writing when the house is quiet. Ah. And typically at 8 a.m., I will get my daughter and, and stay some time with her while I'm doing some stretches or some exercises um yeah
1: and what have you learned from your daughter about mindfulness and meditation
0: that's an interesting question well she she has nowhere else to be but in the present moment yes and she you know babies they uh, express their emotions wholeheartedly there is no um there's no agenda there's just like hey this is what i'm feeling and i'm feeling it with my whole body and when i'm done feeling it then i move on yeah (laughs) So that's a kind of interesting way of being that uh gets lost as we um, get indoctrinated into the ways of the world
1: yeah i I learned a lot from my son when he was born. I certainly learned a lot about mindfulness and meditation, and I mean even though a lot of those things you basically know once you have a child of your own, it just changes your perspective at least that's what I felt you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so and
0: yeah, it's interesting also that um being a, a dad a new dad um something's changing new as well as a result of needing to care for someone that fragile um so for instance i i, I joke with my wife that we have developed um hearing superpowers like we can be on another side of the home doors closed and everything if she starts crying no one else can hear we have friends around no one else can hear but we can hear and we know if it's our daughter or the neighbor's daughter so um it's interesting how awareness start flowing in in different ways um to to fulfill your duty as a parent um also when i you no know, the first uh, days or weeks that i was you know just with this newborn oh i'm always afraid that i'm going to drop her uh-huh. right and after after a while that fear never comes anymore because like i know that there's no bloody way i'm going to drop no. her, you know even if i'm even if i'm running up and down the stairs like whatever is happening like this is it's like part of awareness part of my awareness is always there no matter what's happening.
1: Yeah, I can I can imagine how you feel. I love that you can open this book to any page at all and there's going to be a gem of insight. There's going to be like this really great piece of information that will enhance your, your meditation practice. Can you share a gem right now with Mindful Tribe? Just some little tra- uh, some little gem or some little uh, tool that can help with your meditation practice?
0: Mm-hmm. Would you say that most of the listeners are more in the, on the beginner side of the scale or are they more kind of intermediate and advanced? I think we have a lot of intermediate meditators. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for for intermediate meditators, uh, I'll speak to intermediate meditators then. I assume that you already have a daily practice, that that part of the, of the journey of meditation is already ticked for you. And so I would encourage you to experiment with different styles of meditation because there's a chance that the style that you are practicing or the style that you learned may not be the most optimal for you. It may be, and and all of them work, but there's a chance that there is a different way of meditating that would be more suitable for you. So what I usually encourage people after they have built a habit is to spend some time, let's say one to three months, uh, experimenting a few different styles of meditation systematically, maybe a week each or a few days each. And then at the end of this period of time, you then, evaluate which style works best for you and you know meditation is different things for different people so the style that works best for you depends on what you want from the practice depends on your goals if um, the main purpose of meditation for you is to be physically healthy it's one style of meditation that's probably going to be optimal for that if the main purpose is to help you be more productive and to focus better in your work a a different set of meditation styles are better for that If you're after emotional healing, or spiritual growth, or uh, becoming a more compassionate person, there are different styles of meditation that are individually better for each of these things. So I would say if you're an intermediate meditator, spend some time clarifying what are the main benefits or transformation that you wish for meditation, and then spend some time trying different styles until you find the one that works best. Great tip,
1: that's excellent. I wanna talk about transcendental meditation. And with transcendental, you usually have to pay quite a bit of money to somebody to teach you how to do it, isn't that right?
0: Yes, that's that's the way they work. Yeah, so tell us your thoughts on that. Okay, I, I am not a fan of transcendental meditation. And um, the reason why I'm not a fan is that so? There are a couple of different things, but um, there is a mixture of um, the spiritual and the secular in a way that is not so clear. Now, um, they say that their mantras are unique to every person, but we know that they are not. There is the dependent, depending on your gender and age group, all of you are going to receive a, a certain mantra. Um, we are told that those mantras are just um, sounds, that they are just kind of. Um, are say meaningless words, but um, we know that they're they're not like people who are um, they used to be meditation teachers uh, of of TM and then they're not anymore. Then they say like, hey, this these mantras they are actually um, they are names of deities. They are names of of tantric deities actually. So you no, know, so there's this problem of identity confusion. They started as a spiritual approach, and then uh, I, I think. Uh, Mostly at the time where their founder passed away, then they went more to a secular approach where they're trying to go to schools and, um, you know, uh, hospitals and, and, and other secular institutions. So, but at the same time, it's not, it's not clear that, hey, are you fully secular or are you fully spiritual? You know, if it is spiritual, um, there's the initiation, which is what happens when you go and learn TM. They ask you to, to bring a flower to offer to the, to the teacher. Um, so that is more like a, the spiritual aspect of it. Um, so that's, that's one of the things that I, I don't like so much about TM. Um, the second thing is that, uh, they, they promote one idea about meditation that I, I believe it's a myth and it's the idea that meditation is effortless. You know, they have this concept and this comes from their, the founder they have this concept that the nature of the mind is to seek its own bliss and so all we have to do is kind of get out of the way and then the mind will will find its will go inside and find its own state of bliss and they say that simply by having a mantra um, that you are not supposed to repeat according to them you just kind of remember the mantra effortlessly um, that you will allow the mind to go back to that state now this this idea does not match my experience as a practitioner or as a teacher. And it, it does not make much sense for me. Because if the nature of the mind was to seek its own bliss, uh, everyone would be much happier than they are now. You know, why why is there so much depression? Why is there so much anxiety? Where is there so much fear and in all of this? If the nature of the mind is to seek um its own bliss, right? Um if the nature of the mind is to seek bliss, that's what's going to happen if you just leave it alone. But that's not what happens. If you leave the mind alone, the mind is going to go around thoughts and ego and, con- and concerns and fears and all of that. So I believe that that's a myth. Um, meditation does require some effort. Uh, it's not a heavy-handed effort, but it's a subtle effort of of attention that you decide to exercise your awareness in a particular way during that period of time. So for these two reasons, I I am not a fan of TM. Uh, I don't recommend TM. For those of your listeners or or anyone watching or listening to this, if you practice TM and that works for you, then please just ignore everything I said and continue with what works for you. But if you're considering whether you should try it or not, I would instead recommend something else.
1: And did you pay the money to get trained in TM so that you could research this book?
0: No, I have friends who have done that. I know, I have friends who are TM teachers or ex-TM teachers. Um, and, and if you go on the internet and you search, you'll find a lot of ex-TM teachers that um, are whistleblowers, so to speak, that they go they and, and say everything that you're supposed to keep as a secret. So um, I, I was going to write, I did write a chapter on TM, but uh, the publisher last moment, they decided to remove it because they were afraid of being sued.
1: basically. Oh, is that right? <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I wondered about that now there are sections in the book where you address people's fears and skepticism what are some of the biggest fears that people have about meditation
0: yeah it's interesting um so it's again it's going to be different things for different people some people fear that meditation may make them too passive right um that meditation may kill their ambition or or their drive and um their fear is not a hundred percent baseless i mean there's some foundation in that some styles of meditation if you go very deep in them and you you practice that philosophy you know you tend to become more geared towards the spiritual than the material right you tend to be really happy with where you are in life i mean what a crime you become really (laughs) happy with where you are in life yeah (laughs) and then you don't feel the need to to pursue some of your goals that you have that you pursued before um but there are other styles of meditation that no, that they won't affect um your motivation or your, your goals. They just will give you a very powerful way to focus and, and to know yourself. Um so again, I come back to that um that tip of learning, of finding the style that works best for you according to to your needs, to your goals.
1: Yeah. Do you find that that meditation helps your memory? Because I know memory is one of the things you talk about.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, personally, I find that it has helped a lot with my memory. Yeah. And another thing that is un, kind of, it's not meditation, but it's related to meditation, that has helped memory a lot is just diminishing the amount of information we consume. Right. It's, um, or at least having a more mindful relationship with our devices and social media and the internet. That will also help a lot with memory.
1: What was the most surprising thing you learned by researching for this book?
0: hmm that's a good question i haven't thought about that the most surprising thing perhaps the fact that um there are so many different approaches to meditation even in a single technique like even if you say like okay i practice vipassana that's not a conversation start a stopper because they can ask what type of vipassana you know um jack cornerfield which is a famous vipassana teacher I think it was him or his colleague Joseph um, Goldstein that said that their teacher mentioned that there are over forty different ways of practicing vipassana. So that's just vipassana. Um, there are at least three different ways of practicing zazen. Um, there are so many ways of practicing Tibetan meditation that I couldn't I couldn't choose one to put in the book. So I, I didn't put anything. <laughs> it was so right. confusing. Um, so you know this. This tradi- the tradition of meditation is at least four to 5,000 years old. People have been practicing for that long. And, um, you know, every different person has developed throughout history a slightly different way of practicing. And if their method worked, it got handed down to their disciples, their students, and got recorded. And so now, in the 21st century, with internet and... Uh, with books like this one, you suddenly can see all of them at the same time. And it feels like a buffet yes. like where, which one should I even start? Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Fascinating. Well, Gio, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. So here's the first one. Who is one person who has been a really powerful influence for you, as far as mindfulness is concerned?
0: Well, the Buddha Buddha himself.
1: I was wondering how you'd answer that. So that's a great answer. Yeah, wow. How has mindfulness affected your emotions?
0: So mindfulness for me means that I don't need to run away from any emotion and that I don't need to, to react based on any emotion, that I can just accept whatever emotion is happening right now with all its sensations in my body, pleasant or unpleasant, and that there's still space for me to choose what I want to do with it. Do I just want to watch and let it pass? Do I want to fuel it with attention and, and increase it if it's a positive emotion? Do I want to process it so that it kind of disappears? Um, mindfulness gives me these options. You talked about breathing
1: already, but I want to know how breathing is a part of your own personal mindfulness and, and meditation.
0: Mm. So my style of meditation, as I mentioned, is, is not breathing. Uh, I've tried breathing styles in the past, and they were not the best ones for me. But having said that, breathing is an important element of my mindfulness practice throughout the day. So I noticed that when I am eating, I, tr- I try to pay attention to my breathing. Because when I breathe more deeply and slowly while I eat, I chew better. And um, I feel that the digestion happens easier after that for some reason. Um, Also, when I'm working, I may be answering emails or maybe doing something from time to time. I remember to breathe deeply and slowly. And the more I do that throughout the day, the less tired I feel at the end of the day. Your book,
1: Practical Meditation, is fantastic. It's really uh, highly recommended by me, that's for sure. Um, Are there any other books
0: that you would recommend that are related to mindfulness? Um, Well... Yeah, there are several other good books. I would say probably Mindfulness in Plain English. Um, that's a classic in, in this area. And uh, Meditation for Beginners by Jack Kornfield.
1: Right. Okay. I'll put all of this in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. And one last question about this. Can you share an app which can help people with mindfulness?
0: My favorite meditation app is Insight Timer. Um there are 8,000 meditation teachers there. I'm one of them. Um, I run live classes through that app. And uh, me personally, I don't go in and listen to other guided meditations. I use it as a timer. Their meditation timer is the best one I've seen in any app. So I would um, recommend you guys check it out.
1: And I agree 100%. That's exactly my favorite meditation app, and I use it as a timer too. And I have meditations on there, and I'll, I'll look for your training on there. I haven't seen that, so that's great. Yeah, check out check out Insight Timer, Mindful Tribe. It's really really great. So, Gio, it's been fantastic to meet you. It always is great to you know, read the book and then meet the author, and it's no exception here. It's great to meet you. Do you have any final words of advice for our listeners who believe in meditation but maybe just need a little bit of wisdom to get moving forward and to make it a better experience in their lives?
0: What I like to say is that your, your life is as your mind is. Your mind decides if you're having a good day or a bad day. Um, Your mind decides uh, what's important for you, what you're going to pursue in life. Um, Your mind is where you find all the stories you tell yourself. And the stories you tell yourself are the lenses through which you experience life. So if you can learn how to become more aware of your mind, how to master your mind, how to make your mind a better place, then there is no area of your life that will not be benefited. It will I, I would say that it's one of the m- most important tasks for every human being to get to know themselves and, and and to master their mind, to purify their mind, to make their mind a better place.
1: What great wisdom. Thank you so much for being on mindfulness mode, Giovanni. Thank you very much, Bruce. I enjoy this. You're welcome. Bye now. Goodbye. Mindful Tribe. Thanks for listening, for subscribing, and for reviewing the show, and for telling your friends about mindfulness mode. Thanks also to Erica Flint's Cascade Hypnosis Center for being our valued sponsor. Erica is a terrific teacher of hypnosis, and I know that because I am a graduate of her program. Now, if you're a healer, a coach, a therapist, a counselor, or just someone who loves helping people. You might wanna consider the powerful results that can be achieved with hypnosis. You can learn how to do it. Contact the team over at cascadehypnosiscenter.com and take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.